Father, we ask that you would look upon our our lowly selves, God. We have nothing to offer you. Uh, we don't come here in hopes of an exchange where we give you something and then you you scratch our back, we scratch your back, God. We have nothing to offer you. And so the only thing we can ask of you is grace. That grace would abound to us, Lord. And you you dole grace out beautifully, even though we don't deserve it, Lord. It's there. Um, and and for that reason, you are truly beautiful. Help, help us to really come to that place where you're truly all that we seek. And we look for you in your word this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Somebody turned me on recently to a, a show. Um, I've seen a couple of episodes. It's called Undercover Boss. And a, a CEO of, of a big company uh, will go undercover and, and work entry-level positions of that company. So you'll have you know, the owner of White Castle flipping burgers or working the drive-thru or uh, the founder of... Uh, I'm drawing blanks on the other companies, but you know, there's some big wig CEO with the expensive suit and the huge boardroom meeting and, and then he lets his beard grow out and he puts on, you know, dungarees and everything and, and goes into work. Nobody recognizes him and, and they just work the front lines and want to see what it's like. And something that caught my attention is, uh, Two of two of the episodes that I saw, uh, these two different CEOs said the same thing when they're when they're working. One was on an assembly line and couldn't get the packaging on the stuff fast enough as it's going by, and everyone's looking at them like, "This is terrible. You need to catch up," you know. And little do they know, this is their CEO. You know, this is their boss, and he's trying to catch up and he can't do it. And and he says, "What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? What, what do I need to do? What's the technique? What do I need to do? What am I doing wrong?" And we watched another episode, and it was something else he was trying to do, and, there, and he's not doing it. And he said the same exact, same exact thing. What am I doing wrong? And I thought, that's interesting. I think that's how CEOs think. CEOs like to see, okay, here's what we're supposed to produce. What do I need to do to get that effect? And I think all of us think like that. CEOs are really good at thinking of that on, on this huge organizational level. But we all think like that. We sit down at the dinner table, and I, you know, we want Elias to eat his vegetables, and we say, you want strong muscles? You want to be fast? You want to be strong, you want to be fast, you want to be a good athlete, you got to eat the good stuff. All right. You know, starts eating. And why? Because I want that effect. What do I need to do to produce that effect? I'm like, oh, you got to eat this stuff. And then, see, it gives them that drive. I think as a church, we need, we need to have that same kind of thinking. You know, if it, what's the effect that's supposed to be happening in our church? What's the measure of success? What, what, what do we see to know that God is blessing this church? Well, not only do we need to know that, but that's the effect. But what do we need to do? You know, if we're not seeing that effect, what are we doing wrong? Or what are the things, if you don't want to put it negatively, what are the things we really need to focus on and do right? What are the things we need to do well to get that effect? Um, it doesn't take long for the book of Acts to kind of give that to us. And we're in chapter 2, right at the end of chapter 2 in the book of Acts. If you open up to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, and then Acts, uh, right after those first four. Uh, chapter 2, as we continue our series, um, Luke, Luke is writing this, he's unfolding this, and he gives us his thesis statement. 
Um, how many of you remember what a thesis statement is? If you went to any kind of class that taught you how to like, write an essay or something, okay? I don't remember how many times I would write something I thought it was so clever, I thought my thoughts were so profound, and then the teacher hands it back. Where's your thesis statement? My thesis statement? That paper's awesome. <laughs> There's no thesis statement. What's missing if you're missing a thesis statement? Uh, well, a couple things. Um, a thesis statement is supposed to tell the reader what the paper's about. You know, as you're reading, as you read this paper, now there might be an introduction, but somewhere right after the introduction, you've got to put what is the essay about? You know, what are you writing about? This book report, what's the book? You know, uh, if you're writing something about history, what about history? Who are you writing about? A person, a, an event, World War II? Or, the thesis statement has to tell the reader, what am I about to read for the next three, four pages or whatever you're reading. Kind of providing a map. Look, this is what you're going to get. This is what I'm writing about. Um, and it also tells the reader how to read the paper. Okay, it kind of gives you like an idea. You know where the paper is going. So every time you read a new paragraph, you kind of get, you have a grid. You have an understanding like, okay, I get where he's going. That's why thesis statement is important. And Luke gives us one in Acts. So when we go through the rest of the book of Acts, we kind of have an understanding where Luke is going, what he's thinking what the book of Acts is supposed to be about, and he gives it to us here, and it ties into that effect and what we need to do to produce that effect. Let's just read them straight through. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, through to the end. It says, uh, and they devoted themselves. He's talk, talking about the believers and the disciples. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I hope I read that at a pace where you can kind of ingest what he's saying, but we'll look at those verses in a minute. Um, right now, I just want to camp out on that last line. That last line of chapter 2. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right. That's the effect. Whatever the church was doing and whatever the disciples were doing when they met, whatever the apostles were doing, the effect of it was the Lord added to their number. Day by day, people were getting saved, the Lord was adding to their number. I find it interesting that in this whole thesis paragraph, you have like, Five and a half verses, the, the, the believers, they did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. And then one line at the end, but God did this. And so, it's almost like the believers were doing these things and lining themselves, positioning themselves to receive something that God was going to do. And as they did those things, God said, okay, I'm going to bless you. By doing what? By adding to their number. Um. Then God saw, when he sees what a church is supposed to do, and he sees a church doing it, he blesses that church. 
I think that's why this is the thesis paragraph for the book of Acts. All the preaching, all the sermons you're going to end up reading when you go through Acts, as we go through it, uh, the missionary journeys and all the miracles and the healings, all that stuff, if you rewind and go back to the thesis statement, it connects to this. God wants the church to do things a certain way, to be a certain way, so that he can advance his kingdom in the world by adding to the number. And I think we, we can't miss this. It's like the disciples did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. But who added numbers to the church? God did. But the one thing that's attributed to what the Lord did instead of to what the disciples did is adding numbers to the church. That's why we have to be a little bit careful when we you know, hear, you know, read books or hear pastors and they talk about, you know, let me give you a 12-point seminar on how to add numbers to your church. Well, that may or may not be good, but we make it sound like if you do these certain things, you can add numbers to your church. You, you can do it. Well, God, it's something God has to do. It's something God has to do. But at the same time, we can't sit back and go, well, that's something God does, right? So if he doesn't do it, well, then he doesn't do it. Well, that's why the other five and a half verses are there. What are the things the disciples did to position themselves so that God would add numbers? Right? And some of us go, well, we shouldn't be concerned about numbers. Well, I don't think we should just come up with arbitrary numbers. We need to be a church of 305 people. Otherwise, we're not blessed of God. Where did that number come from? But five years, 10 years, 20 years go by, and there's no numbers. It's hard to say we're matching, we're matching this thesis paragraph. The Lord added to their number day by day. Now, if you, I mean, we just read Peter preached his first sermon, 3,000 came to the Lord. So you, want to, you, know, you want to talk about growth. Uh, that's what God was doing in that time. I don't think it's trying to say every sermon you should see 3,000 people. But I think it is saying that here's, here's how the church functions. The church behaves like this. The church focuses on this. And then here's what God does. It's not a human act. It's something that God does. But we have to look at what we do. It's almost like God acts in response to what he inspires his believers to do. Right? God acts in response to what we do, doesn't he? Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God. You know, if something happens, I go, in the sovereignty of God, God allowed that to happen. But do I, when I go driving, do I speed? Do I turn corners without looking? Because God is in control. If God wants me to not be in an accident, why should I look where I'm going? Is that foolish? Of course it is. Does that make me not believe in God's sovereignty? No, it doesn't. It's this tension. It's this idea that, okay, God expects me to do something. And as he inspires me and gives me what I need to do that something, he responds. And what this passage is saying, I think is that as the church is doing these things, this something, God responds. Here's how he responds. He adds numbers. That's what God wants. Why would Jesus tell him, you need to be my witnesses and make disciples, if God doesn't actually want to make disciples? I, I hope you're catching the, the flame that's ignited in my heart, and that, that since I've been with you and since God has brought me into ministry, is that it's hard for me to just feel satisfied and feel comfortable and not see disciples come in the door, to not see con converts, to not see baptisms. You have to remember, this is convert growth. 
you know, some churches, they'll, they'll, they'll change a bunch of things and have an awesome music band and, and, and bring in one of the greatest preachers and everything like that. And people that are bored at their churches will come and go to that church. And that church grows. Is that Acts 2 growth? No. That's transfer growth. That's Christians that are, that are church hoppers and they're dissatisfied with, that music is kind of lame, that preacher puts me to sleep, they don't have a good program for my kids, and they, they, they go around and try to find the church that best suits their needs. This is talking about people who have nothing to do with God, and then suddenly they're in love with Jesus Christ. And they're added to their number, those that are being saved, not those who are transferring membership. This is convert growth. And it's something the Lord does in response to his people. So the question is, what did the church do such that God would bless them like that? I mean, what did the church do such that God would, would add to their number? Do you think maybe sometimes God looks throughout, you know, uh, the Chicagoland area and looks for churches that are the churches that he can trust to send people to? If I send a people to this church, those people aren't going to slip through the cracks. If I send people to this church, they're going to be blessed. They're going to get the gospel. They're going to get, they're going to get what I need them to get. Well, if I send people to this church, it'll be kind of warm and fuzzy feelings and stuff, and they have really good cake. But, you know, is God going to really bless that? What, what needs to be in place? I think we back it up to verse 42 and start again. Let's look at verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I think these are the church basics, guys. This is, I mean, there are other things we can do. We could do service projects, and we could do outreach, and we could go door to door and knock on doors. We could pass out tracts. We could. We could do soup kitchens, and we could do all kinds of stuff, but the, boil it down to the basics, the essentials of what a church is, what a church needs to do. Look what, they, they, look what defined the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Now, real quick, I just want to you know, explain what, what I think Luke is getting at when he's describing these particular things. Because um, you might say, well, the apostles' teaching, there's no apostles around anymore, so I guess we don't have that. Well, the Word of God. The apostles took the Old Testament and taught Christ using the Old Testament, um, and then they end up writing the New Testament. And he said, this, this is, this is the, the Word of the Lord to you. And it's been compiled over time and tested over time and, and compared and tested and contrasted, and we end up with 66 books. That's the Bible. That's, that's the teaching. So they devoted themselves to the Word of God. You know, what is God's instructions for me? What's God's recipe for life? Well, well, I want my life to taste good to God. I want it to be a sweet fragrance to God. What's his recipe? If I do it my own way, I'm going to serve him up a charred piece of junk that he's going to spit out. So we, so we, so we, we don't just read God's word. We're, 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 we're devoting ourselves to the, to the teaching of it. And then the fellowship which is a weird word that's it's in our church name and we kind of throw it around and it's on a banner, but you know, we don't use it in real life a whole lot. But fellowship is, is it's not just getting together. It's this, it's this kinship that we have as brothers and sisters. And they, 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 they experience and enjoy this, this togetherness. Like I have my family and everything and then we're tight, but my brothers and sisters in Christ, there's something eternal about that. 
And they, they experienced that, and they did it well. Fellowship, breaking of bread. Now, this is, this is controversial because people, some people think they just meant they ate. But I, I, I think if Luke is trying to summarize the heart, the pulse of the church, he's not going to be like, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They ate food. Everybody ate food. Everybody devotes themselves to food. He doesn't say they ate. He says they broke bread. What's the, the breaking of bread? When Jesus sat at that, that, that table with the disciples and said, listen, I'm about to go away. I'm about to be taken from you. And I'm going to die for the world. You know what it's like? You know what, what's going to happen to me? Look at this piece of bread. I'm going to be broken for you. My blood is going to be spilled. John, pass me that cup. Pass me that cup. Give me that. Like this. Like this. Poured out. My blood poured out for the world. That's what's going to happen. You know what? In fact, when I'm leaving, when I'm gone, every time you guys meet and get together and do your fellowship, when you, when you come together and you want to, com- when you commemorate what all this is about, break bread like this and pour wine like this or juice like this, the grape, you know, the, the red stuff that symbolizes the blood. I want you to, I want you to drink that in remembrance of me. That's what they that's what they were doing. They we're getting together and, and and having communion. And it says in the prayers, the prayers. I'm not sure how much explanation that needs. The church prayed. And as you read through the book of Acts, it's like they prayed. And Peter was in jail, but the church prayed. And this was happening. But the church was praying. I mean, it's like prayer is the the engine that moves the church along. So, the teaching of the Word of God, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. These are the essentials of the church. Um, then he kind of moves on and kind of explains what those essentials look like for them. Verse 43, awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Can I just, can you just do me a favor and just earmark that? Because we're going to unpack that next week. Because the very next thing we get in Acts is an example of that line. Wonders and miracles being done. What was the purpose of them? What's that mean for us today? Verse 44, and all who believed were together. Check this out. This is crazy. They were together and had all things in common. They had all things in common. I don't know if I could do that, guys. That means I, w- I would take my, my precious laptop, my, my MacBook, and put it on a table and be like, anybody who needs to use it, I'd have, I'd have a hard time. Some stuff I'd be like, whatever, here you go. Here's some boots, here's my jacket, my, my MacBook. And I didn't even let my wife get on there. I'm like, where's my file? Where's my file? What'd you do on this desktop? You left this window open. You know, I'm just, I don't know, it's just one of my things. They shared everything in common. Look, look, look at what it says. Think of how radical this would be if, if we lived like this. And who believed, verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Maybe they'd sell the laptop and just, here. I don't think that means that none of them had any personal belongings at all. And, and also, historically, we know that because of certain societal pressures, they had to do this uh, so that they had some kind of uh, pot of funds so they can function because of uh, persecution. 
I don't think this is saying let, let's all be, you know, communists or something, or let, let's all be, you know, socialists or something. I don't think it's saying that. I think it's talking about their, their radical generosity. They, they could not see a brother in need and just be like, wow, that's too bad. He doesn't have one. Thank you, God, that I have one. Hey, you need this, brother? I'll give it to you. I'll lend it to you. I'll come over and help you use it, you know. It's this radical generosity, this idea that we're together. You don't suffer by yourself. We're together in this. And, and day by day, verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, if I, if there's one key word in this whole thing that kind of just summarizes what the church was doing, like how they were doing what they were doing so that God would bless them by adding to their number, I think it's found in verse 1. You know, the teaching and the fellowship and the prayers and breaking of bread, those are the things they did, but how did they do it? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to it. It doesn't say, starting in verse 42, and they listened to the apostles' teachings and partook in fellowship and they broke bread and they prayed. It says, and they devoted themselves to those things. So you can have a church that maybe is not doing those things and that's messed up. But you can have a church that does all of those things but they're not very devoted to it. I read a commentator who, um, who wrote a commentary on this passage. He, here's how he described the term devoted. Steadfast and single-minded fidelity or commitment or faithfulness. Steadfast and single-minded faithfulness to a certain course of action. And, and Luke kind of likes this word because he used it in chapter 1. He said they went together in the upper room. Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit. And they went and they devoted themselves to prayer. And then later they're pulling on the apostles' togas or linens or whatever they're wearing, right? And they're like, hey, all the widows aren't getting, aren't getting their food. The Jewish widows are getting their food, but the Hellenized ones, they're not getting their food. And the apostles said, look, we, we can't do everything. As apostles, we have to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. So choose deacons to do that work. Devotion. A, a single-minded, I can't get distracted from this. I can't get off this track. I don't want to get derailed. This is the thing that I have to devote myself to. A single-minded commitment. You know, a passionate drive to do something. That's devotion. And I'll just say this. I, I think what we learn from this passage is if we're going to experience convert growth in this church, we need to be a church of devoted believers. Devo believers that are devoted to what church, a church is, to what a church does. Not just a church of believers that do this, those things, but to be devoted to it. I, I don't want to leave this kind of just in the air. Like, wow, you know, we just really want to be more devoted. What time's the Bears game? You know. But what, what does that look like? Well, what does it look like for our church to, to be devoted to these things? We do these things, 
we have teaching. You know, I, I preach on Sundays. That's, that's what this, this is. I'm trying to teach the word to you. We have fellowship. We get together. We have small groups. To the breaking of bread. You know, we, every month we have communion and prayers. You know, we have prayer meeting before church on Sunday. And, and we have our Friday night, first Friday of the month, we have our prayer gathering. And a lot of us pray during the week or whatever. But these are things that we do. But what's it like to be devoted to those things? That's why I think the other verses are important. It's like they weren't just giving. They weren't just generous. They were so radical. They like sold their house, moved into some commune apartment or something and the money that they made from all that equity they're giving it to the church i mean it's radical they're devoted to church church isn't like on the side over here i'm devoted to my career and then i got church because i want god to bless my career you want your career to bless the church you need, you need to you need to take the career put it over here and put church there now you spend a lot of hours in your career that's true but for what effect to make money for yourself to set up a nice retirement or do you want to look more like the Acts Church where your mind is thinking, you're thinking about the, the, the ones in the church that, that are struggling. They, they haven't found a job yet. They're, they're, they're having difficulties because the, the, the sickness and the hospital visits is costing so much money. Insurance isn't working. And your mind is on those things. You're like, what if my career, what if I got that promotion and I was able to, and I was able to give? See, your single devotion, your, your steadfast focus is the church. I think a lot of us grew up like with a church as a part of our lives. But, you know, a friend comes into town, they want to hang out, they're not so much in the church, it's real easy to skip church. It's just a kind of a part. But, but devoted to church, devoted to it. You know, I want to get to the point where when I'm on vacation and it's over the span of a Sunday, I want to wake up in the morning and go, what church am I going to? What church? I'm not home. So I'm not coming here. I'm in, you know, I don't know, Arizona or something. And can I Google churches in the area? Can I call friends? Hey, do you know churches in this area? Why? Because I'm devoted to the teaching. I'm devoted to the fellowship. I'm devoted to prayer. Hopefully they're having communion that Sunday. Because I'm devoted to the breaking of the bread. I got to get there. It's single-minded, steadfast devotion. That characterized this church, God saw that and God added to their number. Um, what does this look like in our church? Well, devotion to the apostles' teaching, devotion to the word. I'll tell you, I, we've got some people in here that I think really exemplify this. Okay, I, I think there's people in our in our congregation that exemplify this. Okay. One example I thought of is, you know, after, after a sermon, sometimes people say, Pastor, that was a great illustration. That, that was a very nice sermon. It was very nice. It kept me awake. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad I didn't put you to sleep. Then sometimes people come up to me and I'm, they're like, Pastor, 16 sermons ago, you said, and they turned to their notebook. They're sitting there taking notes. They're taking notes on what they're hearing because they're devoted to the teaching. I, I find that amazing. I, I'm not sure if I've ever done that. Just kept a log. And I'm talking about more than one of you now. That I know for a fact. Just keep, keep, you journal. You're journaling the thoughts. You're thinking about it. I don't have to post sermon questions and stuff to get you thinking about it because you're already devoted to the teacher thinking about it. 
And it's not, you know, the difference, it's not, wow, Lucas is such an awesome, you know, speaker that I just, I just love writing down Lucas's quotes. And I put it on my website, my screensaver bounces one of Lucas's quotes around, you know, I just, I love Lucas. No, it's devotion to the teaching, right? It's to the word. I don't want you guys to leave here remembering my illustrations and my stories and how it was like when I grew up. I'm not up here to teach you my life story. I just want those things to kind of shed light on a truth. I want you to remember Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. I want you to remember that, not my introduction. And that's devotion to the teachings, you know, taking notes on it, thinking about it, dwelling on it, going to group, because you know what? I want to talk about this. This is one of the reasons why we have group talk about the sermon. I don't want to just hit you with a sermon on this topic, and then small group is going to talk about that topic, and if we have Sunday school, it's going to be about that topic. Can we, can we have a moment where we just have a teaching, and then have another moment where we sit face-to-face, not looking at the backs of each other's heads like a lecture, but face-to-face and say, how are we going to live this teaching? How are we going to devote ourselves to what was taught? That, that's, that's one of the primary reasons for the small groups. Rather than coming, and that was a good teaching, and then going about your life, and you're just kind of bouncing around the, the ideas in your head, but you're not, really, you're not really devoted to it. Which ties us to the next thing. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. Um, I, I think that was more than they, they just hung out a lot. You know what was so awesome about this church? Why God blessed them? They really cleared their schedules to have a whole lot of potlucks. I mean, it's not just about sitting together. It's not just about going to Panera and just having coffee together. It's this fellowship. It's this community that we have with Christ. It's I love Jesus. You love Jesus. We're both pursuing Jesus, chasing Jesus. Can you help me? Can I help you? You know, you're down. Let me, let me pick you up. Let me help you. But, but it's, but it's, but it's chasing Christ. And so, I think we want to maximize our opportunities to connect with other believers. You know, our attendance at church, our, our attendance at small groups. I mean, as a church, we try to do our best. Well, I work nights. We did a Sunday group. You know, well, I, I, I don't like being out at night. We have a Thursday morning group. I mean, I don't know what else to do. We're trying our best to accommodate schedules and stuff like that. But at, at the end of the day, at some point, you just have to man up or woman up. And get to the point where it's like, hey, I'm devoted. Yeah, I'm a little bit tired. Yeah, it keeps me out a little bit late. Sometimes the conversations go, but are those conversations really that boring? Or is it, or is it inciting you to more worship, to, to follow Christ harder? You should, you should leave small group feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting what Lucas was talking about it on Sunday, but now discussing it together, I'm, I'm getting this and I'm devoted to this. Devotion to the teaching. Christ's teaching, the gospel, devotion to our fellowship, which is based on the gospel, devotion to the breaking of the bread. Um, you know, I don't know, sometimes I wonder, should we do this every Sunday? Should we just have communion every Sunday? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, and churches do it differently. But when we miss it, do we miss it? I've been really thinking recently, uh, you know, those who've missed church um, and they miss communion, I thought to myself, I, I got to take communion to them. 
this kind of thing is on my mind. Like we're devoted to, to the Lord's Supper. We're devoted to that thing that the Lord commanded us to do. And if we're missing it, we kind of, we miss it. Yeah, I need that. When I first got here, we were doing it less frequently. And a brother came up to me, he was new. And he said, Pastor, do we do the Lord's Supper here? I really need that. I was struck by that. So yeah, we do. It's actually, it's next week. We actually have plans to do it more often. Another reason, the, the rotation of the, sun, the, the, the people that work downstairs with the kids, you know, they, they were missing it so often because by the time they come up, oh, we already had it. And by the time we get it back, oh, you got to go down. Do you go a year without communion? We've got to be devoted to it. Why? Not to just have bread and sip the wine, and, you know, but, but to get together and understand what it means. My life is centered around this gospel that Jesus Christ died for me. This is my life. Why would I give up my laptop for somebody? Because if it can push them toward Christ, that's what the devotion is for. Al bought me this cool little communion kit. It's a little box you open up. It's got little cups in there, a little thing for the juice, a little thing to hold the bread, a little anointing oil and all. And I'm like, that's kind of cute. It's almost like a little pastoral toy. You open up little cups. But I just say, you know what? I just I put it in my office where I can see it. And if the Lord brings to mind someone's just not been to church and is kind of missing it, I'll go take it. I want us to be devoted to that. Because they were. And if weren't in this, this verse, it wouldn't be in my sermon. I, I wouldn't have even thought of that. We need to be devoted to communion. Wouldn't have even thought of it. But, but this is what the church devoted. They got together, they broke bread, and remembered as they broke it what Jesus had just said about it. And then finally, prayer. Just doing it. <laughs> they, they devoted themselves to it, you know. Uh, my heart is so warm when on Friday nights and it's cold and it's snowy and it's it's kind of late, it's dark, and people just show up to prayer meeting. You know, there's no snacks, there's no candy, there's no music. <laughs> I'm not preaching a sermon, I don't have any jokes, you know what I mean? We're just there to just we're just there to pray. And when I see people just show up, what are you here to do? Pray. You know, when people say, Pastor, we, we didn't pray long enough. Pastor, we didn't pray enough, enough things. That, that's what, that's, I think that's what the Lord is looking for. More of that. More of that. Fan that flame. You know, Fan that flame so we could just be consumed by our devotion to prayer. And the temptation is to think that prayer is just a big, fat waste of time. You're not doing anything with your hands. You're not doing anything with your feet. We're just sitting here and we're just, Lord, help us do this. It's just like a big waste of time. It falls back on what you believe about prayer. If you think you're just talking to the church walls, yeah, it is a big, fat waste of time. But if you understand that God says, I'm going to do things. And sometimes I won't do them just because you didn't ask. When we understand that, we just come, God, we want you to do this. We want you to add numbers to our church. And we have to come and we, we, have to, we have to pull on the garments of God and say, God, add to our number. We want to be a missional church. We want to be an intentional church. You know? Asking Him for it. Because we're devoted and we're devoted to the asking. And so, I think God wants to see devotion, full devotion to these things. Um, 
And he'll add to our number the souls that are saved. I just want to encourage you. Um, I think many of you are very devoted. I just don't want you to get discouraged. You know? I want you to get discouraged. I don't want you to feel weary. Uh, grow tired. Like, I've just been serving, serving, serving. I feel like I've been devoted. And where are the people? Where are the people? God's not growing the church. I don't want you to get to that place. You know, God will bless in his time, in his way. But we still have to stay devoted. Others of you, though, I'm concerned if maybe you want to serve. You want to do things at church. You want to do things for church. But, but you're not devoted to the basics yet. You know, I, I think it's awesome if, if you, I don't know, uh, take a block of time from your week and just you say, I want to visit the seniors and cook a meal for them or something. You just want to do a service. That's great. That's awesome. But are you, are you devoted to the basics first? You see, I mean, this list could be really long. If I started by passing out a survey or if you just go out and pass surveys to churches and say, what are the essentials of church? You're going to get all kinds of stuff, guys. You're going to get all kinds of stuff. Churches need to have a youth group. Churches need to have snacks. Churches need to have a paved parking lot. I'm tired of tripping. You know, whatever. And those are all good, good concerns. But Luke is just trying to, like, boil it down to the basics. Are you devoted to the teaching? Does the word of God excite you? I mean, it doesn't matter how many meals you serve homeless people. If you're not devoted to Christ's teaching, that you're still not connecting with the mission, I don't think God's going to bless that. But it's, it's devotion to the basics first, and then you find your role, you're able to serve and do various and generous things. Devotion to the basics first. So I want to leave you with a charge. Um. I think it's a devotion to Christ that gives you a devotion to church. It's his church. And I think if you're just not passionate about the church, it may be because you're just not passionate about Christ. I mean, he's the head. It's his church. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And if we're not passionate about him, we're not passionate about the church. I think, it, you know what, it'd be great if the, if the church grew, if we added to our numbers. But if it doesn't happen, you know what, I just love the songs. I love seeing the people that love me, that visited me when I was sick. It's just a really good feeling to have friends. Or are you devoted to friends or are you devoted to Christ? There's, there's a difference. And they're not mutually exclusive because when you're devoted to Christ and you meet friends, they're devoted to Christ. They're your lifelong friends. I'm talking about eternally lifelong friends, brothers and sisters. But it begins with a passion for Jesus. I, I show up at church because of Christ. I show up because of Jesus. You know, it, it's I'm in love with the Savior who died for me. I'm in love with and I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm so devoted to the fellowship that's based on him, the teaching that's about him, the prayer that's to him, the breaking of the bread that symbolizes him. And so we want to be devoted to Christ. So that we can be devoted to the church and he can bless us with people that are saved. If I say, um, if I know I love Christ more than my possessions, then I can give him up. 
If I love Christ more than any item on my calendar, then I can devote time to fellowship. So, it's about devotion. It's about that grit. It's about that, that, that knuckle-down desire to pursue. It doesn't matter if, you're, if we're persecuted or, or what's happening in, in our lives. If, if there's sicknesses, diseases, we have questions, we're not sure about things, we're not always... You know, but, but devotion, singular devotion to Christ, I think God will bless that. Even if we never do anything else for the relaunch, you know, colors, carpet, whatever, whatever we want to do, changing downstairs and, and fixing it for the kids and everything else like that, that's great and that's good. But that's the surface stuff, isn't it? That's stuff you can buy. That's stuff with enough manpower you can change out. You can change walls with manpower and money. But singular devotion to Christ, that's the kernel that's the underneath thing that, that God looks to bless. That's why you hear about a church like, wow, they don't have a projector. They don't have a microphone. They don't have their pews. Their seats are made out of wood. They're super uncomfortable. They have no AC. And they're growing. How is that possible? I think sometimes God likes to show off. Like, look how, how bad off this church is. And I'm going to just bless them because they they're devoted to Christ. I think some of us, we are devoted to church without necessarily being devoted to Christ. You know, I hear a lot about how great this church is in terms of feeling like a family. And that's, I, I like that. In a very real sense, we're a church where it kind of everybody knows your name. That scares some people off, but some people love that because, hey, I want to be noticed. I want to be recognized. I want to have relationships and friendships. I don't want to just be lost in a crowd. Be careful to not make that the number one mission of church. Because you know what the effect of that is? Closed doors. You know? I have my family next door, and I've got my kids, and I've got my wife, and then close cousins and stuff that come over, and they can sleep over and come over anytime they want. And then guests come over, you know, friends and stuff, and they're great and everything, but at some point you're like, don't you have work in the morning? You know, everybody can't just move in. That's your family. You need, you need family time, right? We can't just take that and import it directly into the church. Let's just be a family where we just grow and know each other. And people can come one or two at a time. And if we get to know them enough, eventually we invite them to things and they become part of us and they're part of our family. But the unexpected and unintentional result of that could be sometimes kind of like, I don't want the church to grow. Somebody might take my seat. Somebody's going to block my view. It's going to be crowded in the lobby. Now i got to park over there. But if the singular devotion is Christ and not cheers where everybody knows your name, we're willing to make certain sacrifices so that the Lord can add to our number. And it starts with a singular devotion to Christ, not just church. Let's pray. God, sometimes as a preacher, I feel like it's just so easy to rail on things like this, to really just say what I think the passage is saying, but it's so difficult to live it out. Um, 
And Father, I, I thank you that I'm at a church where we really, I think, I think for the most part we do this well, but in some areas a lot of us could use a little push and could use a little nudge, and, and maybe it's because we're just not devoted to you yet, our Lord and our Savior. And we have it in our minds like we really should get more serious about church, but it was hard to get excited about church if you're not in it. Lord, help us to get excited about you, enthused about Jesus, and that the effect of that would be our devotion to the things that a church is supposed to be about. And that would produce your blessing us with people, Father. Not so that we can take a big head count. Not so we could tell other friends, well, the church I go to is this many people. Lord, it's so that we can have more fellowship and more people can sing your praises. And Father, there's a lot of things that we hold on to tightly, like our schedules, our hobbies, the things we'd rather be doing. Father, I pray that we would peel those bumper stickers off. I'd rather be fishing or something. And on our hearts, put the sticker, I'd rather be at church. I'd rather be serving Christ than anything else I'm doing. Help us to make that leap, to surrender ourselves to the point where you have our full devotion. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.